Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. Last time on Love the Words we featured Louise Gibbs and Jane Oakshot, both voice experts for World Voice Day. We continue our theme of voice this week on Love the Words uh, with an interview with Maggie Stratford, Leeds-based voice teacher and another expert and great advocate for voice. So Why I Listen is a podcast hosted by voice coach Zelino Modesto and which deals with the concept and the qualities of listening because as we said last week listening is the other half of voice. Zelino has very kindly given us permission to broadcast this interview with Maggie Stratford who She's going to be talking about her work with the trans community here in our city particularly in relation to identity. So thanks so much to Zelino Modesto for allowing us to use this interview and do check out his wonderful podcast, Why I Listening. It's all about uh, listening in our world at this moment. And after the interview with Maggie, we're going to be hearing the next two episodes in Jimmy Andrex's Pandemical, uh, which details and documents his experience of working as a volunteer uh, in Wakefield during the pandemic. Love the words here on East Leeds FM. Hello, Maggie. Hello. Thank you for being here. Hi, Zelino. It's a pleasure to be spending this next period talking to you and hearing a little bit about what you have to say about listening. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start by introducing yourself a little bit? Okay. Um, my name is Maggie Stratford and I live in Leeds in the north of England. Mm-hmm. And what would you like to know today? Sunny. Um, <laughs> that was exactly my question. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, yeah, today's good. Despite all the madness in the world, this particular yeah. Sunday is sunny. And I'm talking to Zelino, so life is good. <laughs> you're funny, you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you want to talk a little bit about your work as well. Okay. Um, yeah, so that we was talked what you about... actually meant, wasn't it? When you said no, no, no. It's every everything that comes, everything that everything kiviv is is good. Everything <laughs> that is alive is good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. So, my work now is almost exclusively teaching voice to trans women, or working mm. with voice with trans women. Mm-hmm. I say almost exclusively because I also perform when there aren't viruses running riot in the world. And I don't teach exclusively in the trans community, but that's where the bulk of my work is now. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. since March, all that work has been online. So, yeah, yeah. so it's been a kind of new chapter, um, Mm -hmm. but it's working okay. It's working okay. That's great. Yeah. And do you want to talk a little bit of how you you got connected to this type of work? If there's something that triggered you, that motivated you to have this specific type of work? 
it was one of those kind of um, serendipitous um, moments. It wasn't something I was looking for. I, I don't think it mm. was even something I knew existed. I probably hadn't thought about it very much. Uh, but about, well, it's not about, it's exactly 13 years ago. Okay. I was already, I'd already been working in theatre. I was a performer. Um, I was a singer. I was teaching voice, and I can mm -hmm. talk a little bit more later maybe about the background of that with the Roy Hart work. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I trained as a therapist, and I'd been a teacher, diddly, diddly, diddly. We used to say, you're a jack of all trades and master of none. But now, yeah. now they call it having a portfolio career. So yeah. <laughs> I now have a portfolio <laughs> <career>. <laughs> So that was the, that was the situation. I, w I was teaching voice to groups and to one to ones, and I had an email from the manager of the local gender identity clinic or GIC in Leeds, mm -hmm. out of the blue, saying we would like somebody to come and work with voice with our trans women. Hmm. Um, could you do that? And I almost emailed straight back and said, I have no experience of doing this. I'm sorry, I'm not the person you're looking for. So that was, and I didn't. I had one of those, I don't have these moments very often in my life, but I mm. had a moment of common sense. And I, <laughs> and so I sat on the email for 24 hours. And during those 24 hours, I thought about the question they were asking and what might be entailed and what I might possibly be able to bring to it. Hmm. Um, and I reflected on the fact that I'd done a lot of work with the Roy Hart Theatre. And hmm. in a nutshell, that work had taken me into exploration of the extended voice. So yeah. the, I, the idea that we all have far more to our voices than we mm -hmm. regularly use or even can imagine. Yeah. And so I'd been do I'd been involved in that work for quite a long time on and off intermittently but it was something that was very dear to me and I'd still was going back and getting teaching in that and experiencing it for myself. So yeah. in this intermittent 24 hours I thought oh, well actually <laughs> maybe <laughs> I've got some of the skills that could be useful mm. for people who are looking to use their voice in different ways. Yeah. I'm not a speech and language therapist. Um, but I figured that she'd come to me, and this is a very forward-looking manager of the services at the time. She'd actually gone to a local theatre. She'd mm. gone to the West Yorkshire Playhouse and said, have you got anybody on your books that teaches voice? Um, and I'd been working with some older people there, and so I was on their list. So that's how she got yeah. hold of my name. So I made a proposal. Well, we met. First of all, we met for a very nice coffee. And <laughs> a very nice coffee. It was a very not nice coffee. coffee. It was a very nice coffee. It was coffee. not an ordinary <laughs> coffee. It was, and I remember that meeting with real pleasure because it was, we were both being really tentative because I couldn't mm. say, I have done this work and I know it works. And she couldn't say exactly what she wanted. It's the first time she'd worked yeah. with somebody who wasn't a speech and language therapist. She knew that she didn't want a speech and language therapist at that time. She mm. wanted something else. So we were kind of on this little creative adventure together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that made it rather exciting. And she was very trusting. And I'll always be grateful for that. She, she mm. said, well, let's see what we can do. 
go away and think about it. And and I went away and thought about it. And one of the things I decided right from the get-go was that I wanted to teach groups. So mm-hmm. I wanted, rather than one-to-one work, yeah. I wanted to teach groups because I figured that these people who had an experience totally that I did not know anything about at yeah. that time yeah. Yeah. would yeah. learn so much more from each other than they would from me. Mm. So it felt really important to have them in a group. So then I thought, mm, can I devise some kind of course, mm, really not knowing what it would look like or how mm-hmm, it would be? Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. So I've been there for 13 years. <laughs> and, wow. um, initially, we just did uh, a six-week course. And when I say course, I mean one session a week for an hour and a half mm-hmm. over six weeks. And then I realized that yeah. kind of asking for the impossible. So we extended it to eight weeks, the grand total of eight weeks. Mm-hmm. So in all, it's actually only 12 hours teaching, which is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. It's actually yeah. less than a, week- than a weekend workshop length of teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they do extraordinarily well given the yeah. amount of teaching they get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's how it all started. That's how it all started. That's beautiful. And how how was your first contact with them? So you had uh, ah. people with a different experience from the one you had at the time yeah. you said and yeah. that you you were like getting in contact. How did that feel? Scary. Hmm. Um at that time, I don't think I knew anybody personally in the trans community. Um, I was very, very concerned about getting things wrong, about being mm. inappropriate or using inappropriate language. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, I, I have to say that it was okay. <laughs> it was more than mm. okay. I mean, I so enjoyed working with that community but but initially yeah really really quite scary and these were people coming looking for something from a real variety of experiences as well so you had some mm. people who were familiar with their voices some people who were singers some people who did not speak yeah that's the degree to which you know the mm. the, the voice can be um a trigger you know, there's some people who yeah. just said to me, Maggie, I don't talk, you know. So yeah. I, it was really brought home to me very, very, very quickly and very powerfully the importance of the voice to these people. Mm. Mm. Um, so in terms of what they might have called then passing, um, when they used to say, you know. What, what do you mean with that? Passing what is the means passing? not being misgendered. So they would mm. describe to me, you know, they can walk down the street and nobody looks at them, but as soon as they open their mouths, you know, heads, yeah. heads would turn. Yes. So I, yeah, I understood very quickly or started to understand very quickly the, the, the importance of the voice to identity, which I already kind of knew from my own perspective. For me, yeah. voice has always been about who I am. And especially, I think, with my work with Roy Hart, it's, it's always been mm. a kind of um, an excavation of me. <laughs> yeah. When I've been when I've been working on my voice, rather than just an excavation of this tool that I happen to mm-hmm. have, it really has mm-hmm. been much more about how and who I am. And I feel, I felt then, and I still feel that really strongly. The voice is about who and how I am. 
Mm. And mm. helping someone to access parts of their voice which express that, who they yeah. are and how they are inside to the outside mm. world, um, it has been critical. That's what, mm. I'm, that's what they say. That's what they yeah. say. So you feel that your own journey, your own understanding of trying to, for yourself, that your voice would represent who you are also helped you mm. trying to see that in them and trying to yeah. build that in them as well. I, I actually think, I actually think it's vital. When, when, mm. when I was working as a therapist and training as a therapist, we used to say, um, you have no right to sit in the chair as a therapist unless you sat in the chair as a client. And so, you know, good therapeutic training, you have to do you know, a lot of yeah. client work. Da, da, da. And, and I have the same belief about the voice. I think it's incredibly, well, I can only imagine it being incredibly difficult to teach voice without having, and this is not just about having technical knowledge, but without having a deep understanding or experience Mm. of the voice for oneself you know it's not i'm not teaching geography or maths yeah. or yeah it, it, um I, I hear i hear curiosity is as well there mm. um do i yes no mm -hmm. yes curiosity in and this is where we get to the nub of of, of the title of your podcast really mm. um because if I have um, learned to listen to my voice or learned to hear my voice, mm. I must have started to listen to it. Mm. Um, and it feels like a really important part of the, the teaching that I do feels like uh, an encouragement to people to hear themselves, so to listen yeah. to themselves. Hmm. And frequently, trans women, especially sometimes trans men, but frequently, most frequently trans women have a, have a, a really difficult relationship with their voice because hmm. it simply does not, in the way they're currently using it, it does not represent who they yeah. are. It's incongruent. Yeah. It is not them. Yeah. So they can feel this incredible split every time they mm -hmm. hear their voices and deep, deep discomfort. So, and often that discomfort leads them to a place where they don't want to listen to their voice. Mm. Understandably, they don't want to hear this. Yeah. They don't want to hear this part of them that seems to, and this is yeah. the, word, the word they frequently use, betray them. Mm. They don't want to um, listen and be attentive to that part of themselves, which seems to betray them every time they use it. Yeah. So, and a really important part of the work, especially at the beginning of the work, is acclimatizing people, if you like, mm. to that notion that this part of themselves, um, mm, we're going to work with it. You know, we're not, we're not mm. going <laughs> to, it's like, we're not going to, I'm not going to teach them to swim by sitting in an office and talking about physics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're yeah, actually yeah. going to have to, ah. Oh, use yes. this instrument that difficulty with listening or that discomfort with listening 
also applies, I think, in the wider population. When, when I'm, I'm thinking about listening and hearing our own voice, okay, mm -hmm. there's a real, there can be a real discomfort, understandably, um, with the clients I work with. But I think most of us, you know, we hear our voices in terms of words and debate and mm -hmm. argument and scoring points and da 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 da. da. But but we yeah. we so rarely actually listen to ah the. I don't know what you want to call it. The matter, la matière, you yeah. know, the meat in the sandwich. The, the yeah. Mm. So even when I'm, you know, I'm working with the general population, if you like, for want of a better term, that journey towards really listening to oneself mm. is quite a journey. I think. I mean, it sounds mm. very trite. Sounds really. Of course, I listen. No, actually, we don't. We listen to words. We listen to the thoughts. We imagine putting mm. words to the thoughts. We imagine what our, yeah, the debate. Yeah. But actually, stopping and listening to that thread of sound mm. as it comes out. Yeah, and for someone that hasn't done it yet, what? How would someone open themselves to listening to that, and how would yeah. they identify this is the new, the new element of my voice that I'm listening to that I wasn't listening to before? Well, I think before I can get there, or before we can get there, mm. there's another kind of element of the listening yeah. that has to happen, and I think all of this work. And I don't, I don't call it therapy. Some people say it's speech therapy. I, I call it, I'm voice teaching. But mm -hmm. the work is often therapeutic but we, because we're dealing with something really, really important. And like most therapeutic yeah. work, it's predicated on a good relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my listening skills, ability, even before we start doing the actual work, inverted mm -hmm. commas, although we are doing the work already, even though it doesn't look like it, um, <laughs> is about, hmm, it's about listening, is about not prejudging, is about getting out of the way, is about curiosity, as you said earlier. Mm. I think there's something on a very profound level that in the same way that we don't listen to ourselves or the, the voice of ourselves, mm. I don't think we're often really listened to. Hmm. Because usually, you know, if you and I were talking, you know, you'd be saying something and I'd already be thinking of a réplique. I'd already be thinking about my thoughts about what you yeah. are saying. Yeah. Or or I might be worried that you're going to ask me a really mm. difficult question. Or um, mm. it's. I think it's quite rare that to be actually listened to mm -hmm. without any... Mm. without any assumptions being made, without any judgments being made. So I think what I'm saying is that I use listening, I use intent listening um, to establish the relationship yeah. from which we can then start to do the vocal work. Yes. And can you develop a little more about what you call this intent listening? How is that different from the common listening that we, we feel sometimes? Because okay. people can say they can, they can be talking with someone and say, yeah, I was listening to the person <laughs> and I was replying, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. It's, it's easy for all of us to find ourselves in this situation. Oh, we, we most of us do it most of the time. Of course we do. Yes. 
as I just did yeah. then. I kind of anticipated you were going to make a little gap and I jumped in. And <laughs> but, um, Great, great example. <laughs> but, yeah. And I think we all know if we have had, if we're lucky enough to have had that experience of being truly listened to, mm. we know that that feels very different. Yeah. It's a it's a slippery one to define, is it? Isn't it? And yet, mm. it's so. When we experience, it's utterly crystal clear. It's mm. like if I if I am being listened to, I'm being given permission to explore. I'm being given permission to take space. Mm. I'm being given permission to have a voice. I'm being given permission i i'm the, the listener is telling me that i am worth listening to yeah. which is a really powerful message yeah and that's possibly that that's possibly the most important thing i would say about listening mm. listening <laughs> done properly in inverted commas but 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 the the, the intent listening that careful yeah. listening with congruence and yeah, and care mm. is actually, I think, very validating because what we're yeah. saying to the other person when we do that is, you're worth listening to. I'm interested. I'm curious. Take the space. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's about me getting out of the way as well. Yeah, I love <laughs> Which that Which you given that I'm doing all this talking. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's also the fact of you listening to yourself as well, right? So how, when I listen to you, and if I try to imagine how that works in the, in the context of you being working with a group mm -hmm. of trans people, mm -hmm. um, how, how do they open themselves to start listening to themselves? Because they, they, they're going to go into a journey. But yeah. they have to start from where they are in that Absolutely. moment. They have to listen. This is what's present. Absolutely. What what makes yeah. them feel that they are worthy of listening, of being listened by themselves? Mm. Well, I think that in part, that validation. So somebody else listens to me. Maybe I'm worth listening to. Mm. Maybe it's worth me listening to myself. Yeah. I think is, is, is one really important element. How I do that, how a session would go, how we'd go from this moment of, oh God, we've got to work on our voice and, and I'm scared or mm. and whatever might come up to actually doing vocal work. Mm. I use another sort of listening initially. I use some mindfulness work. Mm. So we would often, and in fact, I start almost all my sessions with this. Even clients mm. I've been seeing for a long time, it might be very brief, but we do a kind of sitting practice. And that really is another sort of listening. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of an internal noticing. How am I here today? How is my body? Mm. How is my breath? And I've, I've found that even for clients for whom that was a very foreign experience, an unfamiliar mm. experience, I can remember, I always used to ask them halfway through the course when I talk, talk groups. Um, so how do you find the sitting experience at the beginning of the session, which they used to find really uncomfortable, you know, it yeah. something like 15 minutes and, oh, can't I wriggle? And, yeah. um, 
and th their responses were were just lovely it was it helps me to relax it helps me to arrive i listen to myself mm. i stop thinking i come into my body i'm aware of my breathing i mean just so many payoffs if you like and what yeah. i discovered that they could take that skill that that deep listening to themselves skill mm. to listening to their voice and that's the connection Yes. That, that I discovered that they were actually training themselves to listen to themselves. It always felt like a useful way to start the session because we were all coming in, for, you know, with different expectations and different energies. And, and it was a really focused hour and a half of teaching. So how to get everybody more or less hmm. sharing a similar space. So for me, it felt like a very practical way to start. But actually, the payoff of that was they were practicing listening to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be the very first thing mm -hmm. that we do. Mm -hmm. That would probably usually develop into some breath work, which again might yeah. be very, very, very foreign for some people and not for others. Mm -hmm. Like I say, you know, they mm -hmm. might be singers, they might be opera singers, but yeah. um, but again, <laughs> that can have its own kind of controlling expectation as well. But that just mm -hmm. that gentle noticing of breath. Yeah. And then allowing sound out on breath. I mean, I, you and I know Roy Hart work, so we know that kind of mm. um, connection between body, breath, and voice. And mm. I know sometimes clients are a little surprised by how much I expect them to move. It's a little harder on Zoom, I have to admit. But, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, in group classes, we would spend at least half the class on our feet, you know, mm. because I think that... Mm. connecting voice to themselves or allowing them to connect voice to themselves in a way other than this is a technical thing I've got to manipulate mm -hmm. but actually to experience it and to feel it and notice the differences in their body yeah when they use their voice differently that it yeah. has an impact not just on this thing that comes out of your mouth but mm -hmm. how you feel yeah yeah. I don't know if I've answered that question, Zelino. Yes, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. And um, I'm thinking, do they do they arrive with an image of how they feel they want their voice to be? Do they have, I, I guess they would know what in their voices might be, I think is betraying them. Yeah. And yeah. so that's the part that they probably yeah. want to change. Yeah. And do they have an image of how they want their voice to be? That is... It's it's an interesting question because of course there's not one answer. I always used to I always ask them how they describe their voice at the moment, and even that is really difficult. Sometimes even to think about their voice mm. is so challenging. But it can be challenging for another reason. It can be challenging because normally we don't think about it. Mm -hmm. So even this thing that's problematic, you know, if I said to Zelino, describe your hair, and you said to me, Maggie, describe <laughs> your nose, you know, I could do it, yeah. but describe your voice. Yeah. So already to get them reflecting that they could have a different experience. So so I check on their relationship with their voice currently mm. and their wishes. And often the wishes are expressed or in a way that we might say negative. I don't want to sound like this. I don't want mm -hmm. to sound like a man. I don't want to be mm -hmm. misgendered. Or it might be, um, I want to sound like a woman. And then we have lots of conversations. It's usually a wonderful revelation to them 
mm. when they realize actually the mountain in terms of pitch might not be that great. I can show mm -hmm. that the range of a so-called female voice yeah. is actually huge. You know, yeah. that I sing tenor in a choir, da 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 da, da. So, mm -hmm. so a lot of it is about actually challenging their assumptions about yes. gendered voice. Mm -hmm. It is really interesting because, you know, out yeah. there you listen to, you know, you look at Disney and there's the images, but then there's often the voices as well, you know, that go with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if, yes, you ask me what image they might have. So, so sometimes their image is a kind of slight, a fantasy mm -hmm. um, about what women sound like. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it's, oh, I want to sound like so-and-so off the telly, or I want to mm -hmm. sound like, you know, a radio presenter, or I like this about my voice. And this is other people who might say, I like this about my voice, but I don't like that. Yeah. So we, we spend, we spend quite a bit of time initially talking about what are the differences, inverted commas, between a so-called male and female mm. voice. Mm -hmm. And for many of them, you know, it's pitch. And then mm -hmm. we talk a bit more and we discover there are things like resonance, there are things like intonation and moving the voice mm -hmm. around. And they start to realize that they have quite a lot of knowledge. They just don't know mm. they've got a lot of knowledge, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And we start very gently building on those breath exercises with some... Mm -hmm. I always say, Zelino, if, if I'm not having fun teaching and they're not having fun in the sessions, then I'm not doing my work well. So actually, we work incredibly mm. hard, but at the same time, we laugh a lot. And, uh, <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. I know you, so I can imagine. <laughs> we play a lot. And that's where yeah. going back, I suppose that goes back to what I was saying earlier about making a good relationship. Because mm. actually, I'm not just teaching you how to do something. I'm encouraging you to explore. Yeah. I'm encouraging you to take enormous risks, mm. but what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And throughout the exploration, do they, how do they choose the elements, the new elements that they discover that you're going, oh, this is something I want to have in my voice. This is a sound that I'm able to produce that is new to me. Mm. And this is part of how I feel. It, how, how is it their, their construction? How do they build their new voices? Mm. Um, is it a question that makes sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I'm thinking there, there are some clients who work exactly like that. Mm. Say, right, I want more intonation in my voice. Mostly it's about finding something or finding a way of speaking, finding parts of the, uh, their voice that they feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So occasionally it's this kind of... Um, constructing something mm -hmm. that I might be able to label as pitch and resonance and intonation and breathiness, yeah. you know, depending. Um, but it's a bit sloppier. <laughs> it's a bit messier. It's a bit messier yeah, than yeah, Tom yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I don't particularly encourage them to record themselves right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, recordings can, you know, they, they distort the voice, yeah. they flatten the voice enormously. So especially for trans women, the telephone can be absolutely traumatic. I mean, it's the big, mm. it's the big challenge. Because even if they're modulating their voice enough face to face, the mm -hmm. likelihood is that the, 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 the telephone will just flatten all those top notes. 
So, so there are, you know, trans women who never use the phone. Okay. And what they are able to do when we've been working is um, turn on, if you like, an increased yeah. intonation or bounce uh-huh. when they're yes. on the phone. So yes. we do a lot of practice around pretending to be on the phone to each other. You know, just, yeah. just you know, um, getting used to the idea that I can select skills. Mm. I think I think something else, Selina, that I think most of us don't often think about is our voices vary all the time anyway. So the idea that I'm going to develop this voice or find this voice, mm. it's just going to stay here and it's not going to move and da 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 da. Yes, yes. You know, if, I, if you and I were in a theatre... And the curtain was about to go up. You know, my voice, mm. I, I say, Zelino, can you give me a bit of space, please? And please will, yeah. you share, please, will you share your chocolates? You know, my voice will have come down here, you know? Yeah. If you and I were... Just, speak- just as a note, I would, I would not share my chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> just to let I you should know. remember that. So I should never go to the theatre with you again. <laughs> so, and, and, and contrary-wise, you know, if you and I were in the outside calling to each other, our yeah. voices would be, they, I won't do it now because the microphone will be broke. But, you know, so yeah. not just in terms of volume, but pitch, mm-hmm. resonance. So mm-hmm. we have got that natural fluidity in our voices without yes. thinking. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, please mm-hmm. don't do that. I mean, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just endlessly yes. changeable. It's endlessly mm-hmm. mobile. And mm-hmm. I think that's a lovely part of the work. I think part of the work... After the exercises and, you know, the practice, part of the work is taking your voice out there. Mm. You know, so um, <laughs> BC, before COVID, you know, I would, <laughs> <BC>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would go with clients. You know, my private clients, I would go with them yeah. to a cafe. Mm-hmm. You know, just initially, I would do the ordering. We'd sit yeah. and talk just for them to have their voice in a public place without yeah. insisting that they do any of the tasks that might feel too challenging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, so that is a really challenging bridge to cross. So yeah. they might be fine here and now, you know, mm. in on Zoom or in a room with me or even practicing yeah. at home, but taking that outside into the, into the outside world mm. can be massive. Really, yeah. really, really challenging. So there's lots of stages, lots and lots yeah, of stages. Yeah. And I, I, I hear and I can, I, can, I can truly understand how it can be frightening for them to, to, to express themselves in the new voice. And I imagine that's also because they're also afraid that people around are going to be judging as well. Yeah. And I'm, maybe yeah. my question is, how, how can we, how can mm-hmm. everyone around be kinder? And how can, we, how can we show a different way? How can we listen to that in a different yeah. way and really understand? Yeah all the journey that is behind that it's 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 complicated <laughs> and one mm. re- one reason that it's complicated and 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 I share this with my clients sometimes is that as human beings we are on the lookout constantly for what doesn't look and feel and sound right. It's that we're on the key vive, you know, mm. we, we, we're all, it's all about, you know, um, uh, survival. Yeah. So that, that response that we might have when our head just turns because we've heard a voice that didn't apparently correspond with what we just saw, mm. that is instinctual. Yes. 
Okay, so <laughs> um, it's very hard to override that. I'm not excusing it, but I am kind of mm -hmm, saying mm -hmm. this is partly why it happens. Yeah. Once you've realized that that was probably an inappropriate response, talk to the person, smile at them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, you know, the, the tales I hear tell. I'm just thinking of a client the other day who, who said she'd been to the pub and ordered a glass of wine and nobody turned mm. around. Nobody turned around. Yeah. Or went to the pub, ordered a glass of wine, didn't get a voice quite right, but nobody bat an eyelid and they were really nice to her anyway. Mm. Yeah. I, I think one thing that's quite difficult to imagine for most of us, including me, because I've never decided to change my voice or change the way I use mm. my voice. And it's what a lot of trans women who have gone through transition have perhaps been working on their voice for years. And for some women, they do work on their voice for years. They say it's the hardest thing about transition mm. because they constantly are doing it. Yes. <laughs> it's like giving up smoking. You can stop smoking, but you can't stop eating. And mm. it's like talking. We use it all the time. Yeah. And I think of it as being a little bit like... I don't know, learning to drive a car, you know, initially mm. how that, how it's so exhausting, you know, you've got two hands, yes. two feet, but you've got all this stuff that you're supposed to be in control of. And you're supposed to look out of the window and, um, blah, 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 blah. and then eventually you realize you've driven around a roundabout without having to look at the gear stick, but there will mm. still be a bit of your brain that's watching, that's listening, that's mm. taking in information and that's mm -hmm. responding to that. Yeah. And that's often how people describe the journey of the voice learning as well, that, you know, although mm. it becomes more comfortable, it becomes more familiar, it becomes yes. the, the, even when it becomes their kind of norm, if you like, or their, mm -hmm. new, their new default position. Yeah. You know, so to, to a point where it can be difficult to go back into the old part of their voice, mm -hmm. nonetheless, they have to keep their eye on it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard. It's tough. Yeah. Whenever we have like changes of emotion, if I get angry or mm -hmm. if I'm sad, yeah. my voice, it changes without me having to decide. Now it's my sad voice or my angry voice. That's right. And that's, that's going to come as well. That is going to come. And, and yes, that can be challenging, but also it can be rather lovely because they realize they've got this natural fluidity exactly. in their voice. They mm. don't have to think about how to be outraged or how to be sad. And in fact, sometimes mm. using kind of those emo emotional um, tags, if you like, it's very helpful for freeing up the voice. Mm. One thing that can be a challenge is um, how we perceive loudness. So trans women will often say to me, I can't shout, my voice drops. Because, mm. <laughs> because the resonance, I'm not going to do it on the microphone because that <laughs> would upset the listeners. <laughs> but the, the resonance can be perceived as a low sound. Okay. Yeah. So we, we sometimes end up shouting at each other in sessions as well, just mm -hmm. for them mm -hmm. to experience my loud voice, you know. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So some of them practice by calling their dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, out in, out in the country or out in the open air. Yeah. Making their dog come back to them. Yes. Yes. Mm. I just want to bring something that you said. You said that our instinct of listening to something that doesn't really fit the image of some, or something that we, 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 we have seen 
makes us instinctively look and just yeah. confirm. Yeah. yeah. And 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 I guess I guess I'm I'm always think I'm also thinking it that if if I take it to a different context, if I see someone that has like a, an amazing beautiful that I find a beautiful voice and I just look I think it's just the second thought that we can maybe be more aware of, right? Maybe the first one, when we see a, a trans woman that we feel, oh, like this is different. Mm -hmm. We can also hear someone that has an amazing voice that we didn't expect. And we look and then we see, oh, this is beautiful. Also to see, to recognize the work that is behind someone Absolutely. in their transformation and, and be supportive as well. Absolutely. And... I think mostly it's quite simple. Mm. It's it's <laughs> it, it really is simple interactions. You know, you don't mm. have to engage if you're not comfortable engaging, but just a smile, literally, you know, just not looking away, just not whispering to each other. Although, I mean, things that we talk about and they sound so crass, but mm. actually it's what people do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, be aware that during that transition of the voice, the voice might not be beautiful. Mm. And the other really interesting thing, Zelino, is some trans women choose not to work on their voice. And that's mm. also okay. Yes. You know, this idea of kind of binary yes. identity and whether that's presented, you know, whether we're thinking about physical presentation also mm -hmm. obviously applies to the voice. Yeah. You know, so there are some trans women who say, you got a problem with my voice. That's your mm -hmm. problem. You know? Yeah. Exactly. And that's fine by me. And this is something that I've really learnt, you know, over the, mm. over the past 12 or 13 years. Mm. Mm. And that's a whole other conversation, I think. that the, <laughs> You know, the non-binary in all this is yeah, really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that people do not have to any longer at the gender identity clinics, mm. maybe for the past eight years or so, present so clearly yeah. as binary. Yeah. You know, yeah. back in the day, it was felt you had to prove how much of a woman you mm -hmm. were by how high your heels were or how much makeup yeah, you were yeah, wearing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and even if that weren't true, that would that was the received, that was the received truth. Yeah. Yes. Whereas now it feels, thank goodness, you know. And I say to them, look, I, I'm I'm a cis woman. I've got trousers on. I've got flat shoes on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And of course, there are no rules. Mm. Yeah, uh, we're almost getting to the end. There's there's something that you said in the beginning when you first started working before you first worked with trans women, you had no experience. So you kind of like, you didn't know how it was. Yeah. And how is it, what, what can you, what can you share? So oh, with someone that, so someone that is not aware, doesn't, doesn't have much contact with trans yeah. women, how can it be a good way to approach, to say, is it okay to say, um, I'm here, I don't know, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going to say something which is inappropriate or what, what would be good strategies for us to, to try to connect, to find ways to connect. I, I think, I think it's worth admitting to ourselves that we might get things wrong. Hmm. And usually, what trans people say, that's fine. Just apologize and move on. You know, don't do the yeah. whole drama of, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Da, 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 da. Just, oh, sorry. And and I have to say that occasionally, hmm. I get my words wrong. Yeah, I don't hmm. misgender anybody, but occasionally I get my pronoun, very, very, very occasionally, and I go, oh, my God, I'm sorry, and I move on. Hmm. And usually we laugh about it. But yeah. I'm, not, I'm not suggesting it's a laughing matter, but I think um, they're just people. 
just talk to exactly. them like you talk to anybody. You know, if you're going to mm. stand next to somebody in a coffee bar and you're going to engage them in conversation while you're in the queue, engage them in a conversation while they're in the queue. Yeah. I think if the trans community are out there, um, I mean, if someone in the trans community has put themselves out there and they are, you know, visible, mm -hmm. then respond to them as you would respond to anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Mm. Maggie, you're almost at the end. Anything you want to say? Anything that we haven't touched that you feel would be good to talk? Can I, can I just say that I have never worked with a more courageous group of people. Wow. And that's what we don't see. That's what we don't mm. see unless we're actually involved in the community for, you know, for whatever reason. They yeah. are the most courageous people I have ever and will ever meet. Mm. This is not, we're not talking, you know, choices here. Mm. But the courage with which they, and I'm talking about, you know, people from the age of 16 to 66. Yeah. Immense courage. Immense mm. courage. I have enormous respect for the people I work with who just yeah. astound me. Hmm. And there's no way, there's no way of predicting, this is an interesting thing, there's absolutely no way of predicting how long the work will take. Hmm. When you meet somebody and they say to me, how long? I go, I have no idea. <laughs> um, and, and even after I've met them, Zelino, you know, I, it's really interesting how people respond to their own voices. Hmm. For some of them, it's a struggle and it stays a struggle. And some of them seem to take it in almost by osmosis and that is completely unpredictable that's not mm. predicated on musical experience or lack of not yeah. at all so that's oh. kind of fascinating mm. yeah mostly it's fun <laughs> mostly it's great fun it really is i can't imagine being yeah. fun with you <laughs> no. great great Maggie, thank you so much. It has been a delight to talk to you, as always, I have to say. Pleasure, Zadino. Thank you <laughs> thank for Thank you very, very much. No, thank yes. you for asking me. Thank it's been you. a treat to talk and to be mm. listened to. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Thank you so much, Maggie. Good listening. <laughs> mm. Love the control. Love the command. Love the space bar and a hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. Pandemical by Jimmy Antrex. Part 6. This was the week when the heroes who'd been applauded on studio lit steps in Downing Street got rewarded with a pay rise of a haul of 1%. £3.50 a week, 
not enough to pay the rent up to their red raw eyes and necks in debts and patience there one shift and gone the next. This was the week when there was plenty enough cash for the Downing Street briefing room, a bit of flash so the PM could bluster in front of flags looking all presidential. And though the money in reality was inconsequential in real terms, a kick in the teeth still stings for weeks after. Another gone by, another Zoom quiz, and another, and another. This was the week the government said that Richmond was more needy than Barnsley, and flags mattered more than poverty. Up to this week it's been a doddle, if sheltering under a roof you already own. Long walks, gardening and improving books that feed Amazon's endless appetite for more, while the working poor just have to risk it, and the local bookstore closes. Now with vaccine hope there's a blind assumption that, just like the box sets we've all been watching, a resolution will come at the time we expect, on demand. What goes around comes around. Things always go in cycles. There's a silver lining in every cloud. All them things people say that are flimsier than the faith most have discarded while planning to fill the space with a cheap beach where outcomes are legally guaranteed and ethical or climate concerns are trumped by the need to get away from the situation that meant we could afford it. Up to this week it's been a doddle. Unless it hasn't and you've been hit hard and lost a family member, then been denied a proper occasion to grieve and cry. Or, like our electrician who caught it building a million quid house, or the nurse who was off work four weeks, whose kids flipped their lids when she tried to cool off in her own backyard, and steam were coming off her head. Like we said, it's been hard. Or it hasn't. But one thing we learn from sport, playing or watching, is to wait till the final whistle before we start bragging. The fat lady isn't allowed in the building to clear her throat, so it'd be unwise to even try and sing a note. This was the week the government said we need more right-wing comics at the BBC, that flags matter more than poverty, that a candlelight vigil could be smashed like angry crockery. Meanwhile, at the vaccination centre, the hopeful kept coming up the stairs, clutching their invites with knuckles made white with prayers. Poetry Pandemical by Jimmy Andrex Part 7 Last night we finally got to go train spotting for the first time in ages but saw next to nothing. Drove through an April blizzard, got there in sunshine, shivered on empty platforms for just enough time to test a new camera and empty chilled bladders. A toe in the water before tomorrow's breakout from the clumsy welter of obligated mourning on all channels at a time when genuine grief rituals are limited by royal statute. Forced to grieve, hard to fathom the thinking across such an awkward chasm of assumptions. The music's been tasteful and mute between bottom-clenching, barrel-scraping tributes, including one from a sweaty alleged sex offender who with a beeb wheeled out so he could tell us his dad was the nation's favourite grandfather, though, true to form, no one asked us. On Radio 2, the keen presenter was desperate to confide how he lost his own granddad in 1975, which meant for him, he claimed, the Duke was a surrogate. 
A lovely thought, but for those who could recollect, it didn't add up as the potty-mouthed object of all this adoration wasn't a grandad himself at the time. So, one suspects, the DJ was just trying to say what he thought was the appropriate thing instead of holding his hands up and admitting that he was only doing his job. No crime in itself, but doing that thing we do sometimes, which is to pretend emotions for a variety of reasons. But with so much unspent grief, this was hardly the season to waste it on distant people for whom we didn't really care. This elephant in the room's lifetime of privileged ignorance got the big send-off thousands of other war veterans were deprived of. Still, today we came out to play with our collars turned up. Buttoned up while supping up, huddled up while cuddling up, bookings only, via a lectern on the pavement by the side of Barnsley Road. Taking disaster in our stride, the pavement's packed, but no one's serving at the bar. Waiter service has been added to the repertoire of the Talbot in Darton. A ridge of eye pressure has meant nights as clear as the beer, savoured with friends like a celebration of something not even on the horizon yet, like clapping before a performance. Like the couples at the vaccine centre, rubbing their hands, saying, done and dusted, you won't be seeing us again. Except we will. Their premature jubilation, an easier pill to swallow over a pint with friends in the flesh for the first time this year, even though the fresh north wind still reminded us of cold realities, even if we acted as if mere pleasantries could blow it all away with the wishful thinking that's made people book tickets for concerts that won't be happening. Last week, the vaccine centre paused for breath after warp speed jabs had made the rate of deaths tumble. As the ages of the smiling customers flip-flopping through the door's plungers, the lessening of fear of actually dying opens the door for all kinds of speculating about which brand of vaccine might be safest or which centre might just be the best to get what I think might suit me. I read this article. Shopping around. Doing as we told. Back to normal. <laughs> Thank you very much. First song we'd like to do is about my great uncle, who was a man called Francis Clark. And he was my grandmother's brother on my father's side. The family came from a place called Bailiaborough in County Cavan in Ireland. Came over here. And Francis served his time in the boatyard as a shipwright. He worked on the building of the Discovery. And later he got a job on board. He sailed all over the world, had many great adventures. And eventually he died and was buried in the Yukon Territory. And the sad thing is that at the time that he died, the family weren't speaking to him. They were in the huff. Your families probably don't behave like that. <laughs> anyway, I wouldn't have known about him at all, but my auntie Molly told me about him. She said the reason they never mentioned him was because he'd had an unhappy marriage. And unhappy marriages were not as popular in those days <laughs> as they are now. So they just never mentioned him. I thought it was a pity. So this song was really written just to say hello to him and maybe to warn people against going in the huff. 
It's called The Lonesome Death of Francis Clark. a place out in the Yukon and lying there a shipwright's bones and by his side his argent compass and by his feet there is a calling stone lying by his feet there is a calling stone and a fountain pen lies in his waistcoat Although they found no written farewell He died on a night that was cold as his family Oh, it was icy at the gates of hell Surprised that it was icy at the gates of hell Fare thee well, brave Uncle Francis when the snowflakes fall, I will sing the blues And when I think of how you left this world I will remember how the world left you You say he fell for an Indian maiden Who was more lovely than mere words could and he lay in her arms and he bathed in the moonlight He softly sang of the Billiabara Bell He sang to the maiden of the Billiabara Bell Fare thee well, brave Uncle Francis When the snowflakes fall I will sing the blues Snowflakes fall, I will sing the blue. 